0: Thank you for gathering with us here today as the body of Christ. Thank you for uh, being here, uh, showing your uh, dedication to fellowship with the body of Christ, which is what we have been proclaiming from God's Word uh, in these past couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to be turning to Acts chapter 20, uh, where we have been now for, uh, I guess, the past couple of weeks. And uh, really, Acts chapter 20 has been a pivotal chapter, really, for the life of the church, in that what we have seen at the beginning is really how the life of the church uh, functions in its love for the body of Christ. This was what we looked at from Acts chapter 20 uh, all the way to verse 16. And then if you were this, you noticed that we transitioned into verse 17 to verse 24, where we really considered the aspect of each one of us' ministerial call in the body of Christ where we are to be serving, and specifically we serve the Lord, and the Lord has different functions for us to be serving in as members of the body of Christ as we serve uh, the individuals here or as we serve those who are our neighbors or unbelievers who need to hear the Word of God. We have this call on our lives that the ministerial work is not limited to those who have Specifically, been called to the work of ministry in terms of pastoral care, but rather that every single person who is a believer in the Lord has a position of ministry in the body of Christ. Well, as we've transitioned from there, we now come to where we are at this uh, afternoon in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 28, where we are learning of the Apostle Paul's call. To the specific men who had been called to the office of elder uh, within that church there at Ephesus, which Paul has been serving in for over a period of about three years' time. Uh, he is now transitioning into a new area of his ministry work, and so he's leaving these elders behind. But before he leaves them behind, what he wants to do is he wants to impart to them the specific work that they are called to do as they have been commissioned as shepherds of the church of God there at that church of Ephesus. And so with that, we transition now to read the verses before us today in order that the Spirit of God would speak to us concerning what His Word would have for us to learn today as the body of Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. With that, we pray, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful time we have to come and once again open your Word and to really consider just exactly how it is you are uh, seeing fit that these men who you have been called, to, who you have called to uh, oversee your church, uh, what their functions ought to be like, in order that you would be able to have your church one of order and one that is. Uh, both fed and and, uh, well-led, but also protected from the enemies that are often seeking to infiltrate the fellowships. Lord, we know that there is uh, the devil who is uh, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us, and we know that he certainly is often at work seeking to destroy the work that your church is doing in and through this world. And and so, Lord, as we uh, come now to see the importance of the shepherd leaders who you have called to your church to protect the church from these uh, false teachers, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, give us wisdom and, and, uh, and in insight into how we can continue to live this out here as uh, members of the body of Christ here at the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. God, we, we ask for your, uh, uh, your work to be done in and through us by the power of your Spirit, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible is chock full of metaphors or similes uh, in in which God uses to be able to communicate to us the truth in which he is seeking to convey. God's a great teacher, the greatest teacher ever to live. And so we know that as he teaches, as he's going to teach us well, and that way that he does that is through these metaphors. And one such piece of this imagery or metaphors that he used is of the imagery of the sheep and the shepherd. It's this imagery which was prominent in the life of Israel, both in the Old Testament and also as you move into the first century, which is what we read of the New Testament being written in. It is this imagery of the sheep and the shepherd, or the shepherd and his sheep. And really to any first century believer who reads these letters or to anyone who is reading in the Old Testament times, this would be of a supreme importance to them to be able to understand exactly how or or what God is wishing to convey to them. Uh, This was a noted profession during the days of Israel's uh, upbringing in the Old Testament and it still was going on in the New Testament, so they would understand what was being conveyed to them as God was teaching to them in this particular way. God really was ultimately saying to the people, I am your shepherd and you are my sheep. Now, what's the purpose of the shepherd as he cares for the sheep? Well, namely that. The shepherd's chief purpose in watching over the sheep is in order that they would be cared for. They are to watch after their sheep. Now, you say, what does this look like? We don't have sheep and shepherds here in our society, so so what would they do? How how would the shepherds care for the sheep uh, during the days of Israel or during the days of the New Testament uh, first century Scriptures? What would they do? Well, they would feed the sheep. They would water the sheep. Beyond this, they would comfort the sheep. They would bind up their wounds in that they would feed the sheep. They would lead the sheep to the pastures where they were to feed from. In that the sheep were not able to go down into the wells to draw up the water for themselves to drink of it. They drew the water up from the wells in order that the sheep would be able to be watered and well fed. On top of this, given the dangers lurking from the wolves who existed in the countryside, they were often having to stand watch, watching out for the wolves who were seeking to devour these sheep. And also, what they would have to do is they would have to be watchful of the robbers who existed, who ultimately existed in order that they would be able to kill the shepherd, in order that they could steal away their sheep and, you know, sell them off uh, in order that they would be able to gain a profit uh, from these sheep that they had stolen from their shepherd. Really, there was a supreme importance that the shepherd would have to have as he was caring for his sheep. Most notably, the shepherd would have to love his sheep. He would have to see that he was to be a constant companion of his sheep, which needed round-the-clock, 24-7 care, given both their necessities and often the da- and also the dangers that existed in the days in which this, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament Scriptures were written. The shepherd was of great necessity to the sheep. Now, as we hear of this, we think of it no surprise that God himself often refers to us that he is our great shepherd, and we know this is necessary for us given the fact that all of us act like sheep. We often need food to be fed. We need water to be able to be nourished and satisfied. We have people, enemies, who are seeking to devour us. We sin. We need guidance. We need leadership. It is no surprise that God would call out to us and proclaim to us that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the the shepherd who is watching over us. Most notably, we read of it in the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 23, if you want to turn there. Psalm 23, we read of David who is remarking upon the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, as a sheep or a member of the flock of God, is remarking upon the great shepherding work that the Lord is giving to him. The Lord is indeed the shepherd of his people. And while in the Old, uh, old Covenant, or the Old Testament, he often mediated the shepherding through fallen men, When Jesus came, we know that God himself has dwelt among men in order that he would be able to lead his sheep to himself. He would be able to shepherd his people as he always promised he was going to do. In the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, men, fallen men, sinful men who were seeking to lead the sheep well often failed because they themselves needed to be led by the great shepherd. And so when Christ comes, Christ fulfills that prophecy that was written in Ezekiel chapter 34 in which God says, as he laments about the the, uh, false prophets or the false shepherds who were leading his sheep, as he laments about them, he says, listen, I've had enough of these guys. I am going to come and to be the shepherd of my sheep. Ezekiel 34, we read of that prophecy in uh, verse 9, uh, beginning, uh, beginning in verse 9 and going into verse, I think it's 21 here. He says in verse 9, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ has lived this out perfectly Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And as I noted last week, in many occasions in the New Testament, he is often referred to as our shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, he's referred to as the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25, he is referred to as the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And also in John chapter 10, Jesus himself remarks upon that prophecy that was given back in Ezekiel chapter 34 to say that shepherd that Israel was hoping for, that shepherd that was going to come, the Lord who was going to come and shepherd his people, I am he. John chapter 10 verse 7 and we read into verse 18 says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the shepherd of the people of God. Jesus says, the ones who came before me were thieves and robbers. Now those who were seeking their shepherd, their shepherd has come, and I am going to draw my flock unto myself. Jesus is the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. As Jesus is our great shepherd, we must understand that this makes us sheep. Now, in our day, this sheep analogy is often one that no one wants to be taken part of because sheep are seen as really stupid animals. This is the reality. You look at any definition that talks about the sheep analogy, sheep are often referred to as stupid animals. If they get lost, they don't know how to find their way back to their shepherd. If they, uh, don't, find a, if they don't have a shepherd, they're not going to find a place to eat because they cannot find a place to eat. If you've seen this video, it's been circulating. There's a sheep that gets stuck in a hole and his shepherd brings him back out right after he, jumps right back into that same hole. The sheep are stupid animals, and so to think of this analogy, you're like, man, I don't want to be considered a sheep, but really that is what we are. Every one of us are sheep, and though we were once going astray, those of us who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ repenting of our sins and placing our faith in His work and His work alone have now been brought into the pasture for the Lord Jesus Christ to oversee us as His flock. What this means for us, then, is that Jesus is needing to feed us. He's needing to water us. He is needing to rescue us from the precarious positions that we find ourselves to be in. He's needing to protect us from the false teachers which exist. He's needing to protect us from Satan, our enemy, the adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. He has need of binding up our wounds. He has need of comforting us. He has need of being with us in order that we would be able to be led since if we do not have a shepherd, we as sheep are going to be led astray. And even if we are led astray for a time, our shepherd will leave the 99 and he will go to us. He will bring us into the fold. There is much work for a shepherd that the shepherd needs to be be doing. And what we can say is that Jesus is our great shepherd. He shepherds us perfectly. He feeds us. He leads us. He comforts us. He binds up our wounds. He gives us the living water to drink from. He restores us. He watches out for us. He warns us of the trials, and when the trials come, He also comforts us during those trials, and even more so, He will protect and defend us from the enemy as He seeks to devour us. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And by His grace, even though He has left us for a time, He has not really left us because as He has ascended up to the Father and has received the gift of the Holy Spirit, He now pours out the Spirit of God in each of us as believers through which He is able to mediate His great shepherding work on our behalf. Jesus is our great shepherd. Jesus is the one who is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Now, the tendency for some with that knowledge, they might say, why do I have need of any earthly shepherd? Why should there be individuals who I need to follow? Why should there be men in the church who, as Paul writes to here in Acts chapter, or Paul talks to in Acts chapter 20, why is there need of men who are going to be overseers here? Well, this is the way that God has seen fit. As as Jesus is the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, not only does He both lead us by the Spirit of God, but more than this, he also through the power of the spirit actively equips and raises up men who are able to lead the flock as they follow as as the flock themselves are following the chief shepherd. Now some people might think about this and say, well, aren't all of us sheep? Well, absolutely every single one of us are sheep. But what the Lord has done is He has raised up particular men in individual fellowships in order that these men would be able to lead the flock, the local church, in order that they would be able to act uh, not in the place of Christ, but act moving forward the sheep to follow Christ no matter the cost that this comes to in their own lives. Now, as we think about what this person might be called, often they're called an under-shepherd. Obviously, the shepherd, the chief shepherd alone, that title belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I was reading this week, and I found it kind of amusing. Uh, This pastor said, I don't like being called an under-shepherd. He says, you can call me a sheepdog. Under-shepherd is too high of a title for the work that I am attempting to do and and the way in which I'm able to fulfill it. There is only one shepherd. I'm just a sheepdog. I'm moving the sheep along to follow after the chief shepherd, and that, that is all that I am seeking to do. And this is good, really. Any shepherd who thinks of himself as the uh, same line with the Lord Jesus Christ has, should be disqualified from the ministry. Anyone who the Lord Jesus Christ has raised up to be a leader in his local church recognize that their place is simply to serve the body of Christ in order that the body of Christ would be led to follow after the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, thinking about it in this way allows for that pastor to recognize that their position is a position in which they have been called to not because they're great, not because, you know, they just were these uh, supernatural individuals that God has blessed the church with, but rather it is because God has chosen for a time to lift them up in order that they would be able to watch after His property, His flock. Now, with that, we come to Acts chapter 20 where we see Paul giving his speech to the elders there, those under-shepherds or the sheepdogs. Paul himself is traveling as he is returning to Jerusalem to bring the offering that he has been taking up for the saints there, the poor saints there, which Pastor Richard talked about this morning. He's returning to Jerusalem, but he stopped off in this place called Miletus, and as he's in Miletus, he calls these elders to himself. They are in Ephesus, about 30 miles away. He calls them, comes down to him, and he says, listen, I know I'm not going to be with you ever again. I'm going to Jerusalem. The Spirit has told me that I'm going to suffer imprisonment and beatings. I need to give you this call in order that you would be able to shepherd the sheep that that had been entrusted to your care in Ephesus. I need to be able to give these remarks to you. And so he lays out for them really these uh, paramount, paramount characteristics that they are to have in their ministry. And of first importance, which we re- initially read in verse 28, this will be reviewed for us if you were here last week. He says, therefore I testify, oh, actually it's is verse 26, 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. This is the charge. As he, as he transitions from his, old, from his ministry, he goes into verse 28 and he says, Listen, you are to watch over the flock of God, but first and of utmost importance is that you must first watch over your own life. Pay careful attention to your own life, to yourselves. As the pastor is to lead the flock or as the shepherds are to watch after the sheep, he is in no business to be caring after the sheep if he himself is not able to watch after his own life. The shepherd who is not watching after his own life is unqualified to watch over the sheep. This really is a sacred task the Lord has commissioned these men to do, and if their life is not right, they are in no position to be able to watch over those who have been entrusted to their care. You say, why is this the case? Why is this a a sacred task that these men have been called to? Well, namely because the price that was paid for the flock of God was of eternal value. Namely, it was the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if the shepherd is not watching over his life, and if the shepherd is then therefore not watching over the flock, well then, you can imagine that the great shepherd is going to be displeased with these under-shepherds, and he is going to uh, discipline them mightily because they have failed to give about. their their duties that the Lord has given to them. When Jesus tells Peter, really the uh, apostle Peter, as we all know, and and he was saying this to the others there as well, but he restores Peter to ministry and he says to Peter three times, feed my sheep. Peter, who had renounced Christ or who had uh, rejected Christ or rejected that he was a follower of Christ, when they said, do you know this man? I don't know this man. What are you talking about? Uh, Jesus restores him and three times he says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He meant what he said. He wasn't just, you know, suggesting that Peter would feed his sheep. No, as he commissioned Peter and the apostles and those who were to be continuing to follow after the line of the apostles who planted the churches, who really were the foundation, uh, that, that who built upon the foundation of Christ, as he told them to feed the sheep, Christ meant it and therefore he means it for all who continue to fill out those positions going forward in the shepherd or the ministerial role that they have been called to. He commands that we will feed his sheep. He's going he's to demand that we feed his sheep. In James chapter 3, I read it last week, we read that we are not, many, not many of us are to be really running to the position of, of leadership or to be teachers because we know that those who are leaders will incur the stricter judgment. This is a high call that these men have been given to, and so Paul, showing them the utmost importance of their call, says, listen, you are in no position to watch over these sheep if you are not first and foremost watching over your own life. The Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseer of the overseers of these individuals. And if you think that you are going to be able to watch after these sheep, which need constant feeding, need constant care and constant protection from the false teachers which exist in Ephesus where they were pastoring, you are sadly mistaken. Those sheep are going to be slaughtered, and you are going to, you are going to face the displeasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the sheep have been purchased at the highest price. Really, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we read that the sheep have been purchased with the shed blood of God Himself. The Son of God came in order that He would shed His blood to purchase His sheep. Do you think that He will not shed the blood of those who do not watch after His own flock? This is why in the Old Testament, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, when the Lord tells Ezekiel, listen, I'm telling you that you need to say these things to the sheep of Israel. If you do not say these things to them, their blood I will require at your head. The same analogy applies to anyone who is in the position of a shepherd here to the church. In, in, any, in, any, in any time, in 2023 or when the church was first founded, if the shepherd is not watching over the sheep, do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ will not disappear? Paul is laying out the importance of this call that these men are going to have as they watch over. church. And for these men, for a time, they may say, well, I can lead this double life. You know, I'll I'll act one way before the sheep, and I'll go out and live another way in my my daily life, my personal life. It's my personal life. No, Paul says you must have a 24-7, round-the-clock realization that you are the shepherd of the sheep in every aspect of your lives, both as you are giving oversight over them and as you are leading them by example. The pastor who thinks he can lead a double life may, for a time, see, some blessing uh, brought about in his ministry, but there will come a day through their spiritual uh, negligence that the sheep are led astray and false teachers will destroy their church, or they themselves, being unqualified for the ministry, will find themselves destroying their church. You see, when the shepherds sleep spiritually or through theological negligence, they will fail the shepherd, they will fail to shepherd the flock of God. Really, they are no shepherds who cannot watch after their own lives. But as they watch over their own lives, what Paul transitions to then is that as you are watching over your own life and you are watching it well, you then, Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now you say, what does the shepherd do as he watches over the sheep? He's watched over his own life. His life is good. His life is right. He is walking the straight and narrow path. Therefore, he is qualified to watch over the sheep. How does the pastor or how do the shepherds watch over their sheep? Well, in the first, we saw last week that the position of the pastor as he is given the oversight over his sheep is to both feed and lead the sheep. This is really just basic truth. The pastor is to feed and lead the sheep. As the shepherd of the sheep, you don't see the sheep ever leading the shepherd. Rather, the shepherd is always leading the sheep, and you don't see the sheep telling the shepherd where they want to go and eat. The shepherd is always leading the sheep to what it is they need to be eating, and they are feeding and leading the church. They're feeding and leading the flock of God. As Paul says to them, listen, as I was with you, you remember what I did. I did not, I did not fail to give to you the whole counsel of God. I fed you Therefore, you are to do the same as you are shepherding the church there at Ephesus. Give them the whole counsel of God. Don't jump over parts that you don't think they'll want to hear. Don't skip over things that you yourself don't want to preach about. Preach the whole counsel of God. Your your call is to feed the sheep, and if you feed the sheep, you will do well. But if you take anything out of their diet that the chief shepherd is calling for you to feed them well, you will fail in your position. You will fail to be a watcher or or an overseer of these flock that have been entrusted to your care. Beyond this, as they are to oversee the church, not only are they to feed them as they preach and teach the Word to them, but their feeding and leading ministry, while it is often of uh, tantamount importance in the uh, position as they are preaching from the pulpit, this covers all aspects of the church's life. They feed and lead the church in every aspect of the life of the church. They not only are they, are they proclaiming the Word of God from the pulpit and, and teaching on, on Wednesday night Bible studies, but they are given oversight over the church in every single capacity because they are those who have been given the oversight by the Spirit of God. And really, as we think about this work that the shepherd is to do, we can say that this is their positive work, the positive side of the pastoral work. They feed and lead, and really, if we go back to what we read in Psalm chapter 23, we read of this positive work that the shepherd is often to do. In Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 to 3, what does David say here about the shepherd, the Lord, who is the great shepherd's work? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, to understand this, you think about the significance, and I've been watching some videos to understand it myself. When the shepherd leads the sheep to the pastures, The sheep are constantly on the move, and they can only sit down once they have had their fill. And so when David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He is saying, The Lord has fed me well, I can lie down just as a sheep is able to lie down in its pastures. Still, it says he leads me beside these still waters. Again, the sheep, they don't have any understanding of, of what water is necessary for them to drink. They've got to know where the right well is. They've got to know where the right water is. And so the Lord leads them to that living water. David is led to that living water just as the sheep are led to the waters. And also, he restores his soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord, as the shepherd, is the leader of his people, and he both leads and feeds his people. Therefore, as he has mediated his shepherding work among men, those who He has called the position of shepherd in His church, you can expect that these men are to do the same. And though it is Jesus alone who does this Perfectly, we can understand that, and we can understand that the Lord Himself even promised that there would come a day when, though He was our chief Shepherd, He would give to the people of God under shepherds who would watch after them, after their as um, after His own heart, those shepherds who would actually care for them in the way in which Pastor Richard and I attempt to do. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You see, Jesus does this perfectly. But as Jeremiah prophesies, we know that there are going to be men who Jesus will raise up, who will be watching after the sheep, after his own heart, and who will feed them with knowledge and understanding. And that is what the shepherd is to do positively. Positively speaking, the shepherd is one who feeds and leads the flock negatively, what do they do? And not negative in the sense that it's a negative work, but but negatively, what is it that they are going to do as they are watching over the flock, the care of the flock? Well, we can say that the negative work that the shepherd is called to do is that they are called to protect the sheep. In one sense, they are feeding the sheep, but in another sense, of equal importance, they are also called to protect the sheep. In Psalm chapter 23, we read of this protecting work of our great shepherd. David writing as a sheep or a member of the flock of God says, listen, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though the wolves encompass me, though the robbers are seeking to take me away from my shepherd, I will fear no evil because the chief shepherd protects me. Therefore, as the under-shepherd, they are to follow in the example of their shepherd, their shepherd, their chief shepherd, to watch after the sheep by protecting them. And this is what we see as we come to our text here in verse 29 to verse 31, which is of importance today. No longer reviewing, moving forward to the points for today, he says in verse 29, Paul does, "'I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears.'" You say, what does Paul call these men to do is they are to watch over the sheep. Well, they are to watch over them by protecting them from the enemy who is seeking to come. Now, who is this enemy? We read of the enemy in verse 29 and verse 30. These are false teachers who come to the church, both from without and who also rise up from within the church. The job of the shepherds or the under-shepherds is that they would protect the flock from these false teachers, protect the flock from making sure that they are not devoured by these men, to protect the flock in order that they are not led astray by these men, and namely led astray not from them, but ultimately from the chief shepherd, their job. Job is to protect the flock of God. And you say, how do they do this? Well, in verse 31, we'll see they are to watch and warn the sheep. Watch and warn. As if the positive side of the pastoral work is to feed and lead, the negative side is to watch and warn. If they fail in this, the sheep will be destroyed. This is what Paul is seeking to impart to these men. The necessity of the shepherds protecting ministry is of tantamount importance because of what he says in verse 29 to verse 30, which I've just read. That is that they will be targeted by false teachers. They are going to be targeted by men who are going to seek to infiltrate the flock in order that they can, one, devour the flock, or they will turn the flock away from the chief shepherd and draw them into way, away into false teachings and therefore uh, 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 demand, demand that they no longer follow the chief shepherd, but rather that they would follow themselves. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are dangers which exist if the shepherd is not careful in taking watch over his sheep. Two that are of tantamount importance for the shepherd to be watching for. First, there are robbers who exist, and these robbers are not only seeking to take the sheep down, but they're also seeking to take the shepherd down. They kill the shepherd to take the sheep, and then they sell the sheep to make a profit off of the sheep. In the other sense, what happens is there are wolves. There are wolves who are lurking, following after these sheep in order that they would be able to devour those sheep and to, you know, have, the, have a nice meal for themselves. They want to destroy the sheep. They, they, they see the sheep as an easy and delicious target, these wolves do, and it is the same for the false teachers who seek to come into our midst. They see the sheep as easy targets in order they can devour you and to eat you up as a delicious meal. And when they are done with you, they throw you off to the side because they don't care about you whatsoever. You see, Paul can say to these men here in verse 30 to verse 31 to be on guard against these false teachers because he realizes that whenever the work of God is moving forward, we know that the work of Satan is going to come along to follow behind it in order that Satan would be able to try to destroy the church of God. You see, Paul can say without any doubt that these shepherds need to be on guard, watching and warning so that their flock is not led astray by false shepherds, nor would they be devoured by the wolves. Now, it's important to note what Paul says about these false teachers here. There's really two forms of false teachers that we see. There are those who exist outside of the flock of God, and these would be those who are often propagating some other religion, you, you know, Muslims or, or those in Scientology or, or any of those ones you might want to think about. But then there are those who exist as wolves in sheep's clothing. These are those, they have their Bible, they, 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 they have this charisma They seem to read from the Bible. They seem to say all the things that you need for them to be able to say to you, and yet they are wolves in sheep's clothing seeking to devour you. They are trying to confuse you, to lead you astray by saying, oh, this guy, this is a good guy. He's got the Bible, you know, got to be good. He's got the Bible, right? But we know what the Jehovah's Witnesses have done with that, do we not? They claim to be Christians, right? They've got the Bible, right? No, they, they have a Bible, but it is not the one true word of God. Rather, it has been distorted by men who have changed the meanings of the translations in order that they would be able to propagate their own false doctrine. You see, there are these false teachers who are both existing from outside the church and also within the church in order that they would be able to either devour the church or lead them astray to make a profit off of these sheep for the time being in order that they would be able to prop up their own lives. You see, both of these false teachers then have the goal of taking you away from the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, they just eat you up, they devour you, you're done, you're dead. In the other sense, they drag you away from the Lord, and they take you into their false doctrines, and they say, this is actually what is right. Don't believe what that guy's saying there. You know, they, they don't believe what they're talking about from the Bible here. Listen to what I have to say to you. And it's totally contrary to the gospel that was originally preached. Now Paul says these things not with a excitement. There's no excitement towards this. Paul says this with an uneasy certainty towards these men in order that they would be on guard as watchmen of the people of God to watch out for those false teachers who are going to try to destroy the flock of God. He says, listen, I know without a doubt that after I leave, fierce wolves are going to come in and they are going to try to destroy the flock. Therefore, you must be on guard. Why? Well, because these wolves in sheep's clothing are going to have all the externalities of a believer. Again, they're going to have the Bible. They're going to claim Jesus. They're going to do all of these things that lead you to believe. This is a believer. This is someone who's a believer. He's preaching. He's teaching. You know, he's, he's leading in the way in which I think he should be leading, so I'm going to follow this guy. Paul says, watch out for these men. They are crafty, and they are cunning, but they are going to introduce doctrines of demons into the fellowship, and if you are not careful, they are going to destroy. They are going to destroy the flock of God. Now, as they lead astray the flock of God, you say, why why do they do this? What's the purpose? Why do false teachers exist? Why why do false teachers, why do they come into the church to try to distort what God is doing here? Well, they see the sheep as easy targets. They They see the sheep as easy targets for their own gain. Peter warned against these men. They warned against these men, and it is sad that these men are still existing today in the churches taking advantage of the sheep as the easy targets that they see them to be. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 3 warning against these false teachers. He says in their greed they will exploit you with false words. In another translation it says they will make merchandise out of you. All they see for you as the sheep is the wool that you have that they can shear off of you and sell it and make a profit off of you. They don't care about you. They see you as the easy targets that you are and they are going to make merchandise out of you. These men are only after their own gain. They're only after their own pocketbooks. And what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 says about them, these men is that they produce constant friction among people. They are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And in the context, he's referring to financial gain. They are saying if you're godly, you're going to get rich. If you just give this fake seed to God, you're going to get rich, right? These guys still exist Today, false teachers have infiltrated the church just as they were infiltrating the church back then. Even more than this, beyond this, before, uh, if they are not trying to take after you for financial gain, what they try to do is they try to dominate you. There are men who want to control people. That's all that they live for. They want to have the control. They need the power. They need to have individuals who just do whatever it is that they tell them to do. And so they see the sheep as easy targets to control in order that they would dominate them. The more people they have, the better for them. And so what they do is they tickle the sheep with words that they want to hear in order that they can drag you into their fellowship and then dominate you, have oversight over you, which is not an oversight of service, but rather in order that they can dominate you and control your entire lives. Jesus warned against these men in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. He talks to his own disciples. He says, Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the shepherds of the Lord, the true shepherds of the Lord, will follow the chief shepherd's example of service to the sheep. Now, this does not mean that he gets walked over by the sheep. This does not mean that he no longer leads the sheep. Sure, they have the oversight, but their oversight is both for the good of the sheep and also for their own benefit as they seek to lead the sheep to the shepherd. You say, now, was Paul just an alarmist here? You know, was Paul barking at shadows, you know, as like a dog does, and they bark at shadows. They think something's there, something's going to come, and nothing really ever happens. Was Paul just an alarmist here, or is this the reality that there are going to be men who seek to propagate themselves as true teachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to lead the church astray? You say, is this really happening? Are there really false teachers in the church today? Church, let us not be so naive. Paul was no doomsayer. Paul was not barking at shadows. Paul knew without a shadow of a doubt that these men were going to come into the church to destroy the church of God. Turn with me just to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, turn in your Bibles there because we're going to flip through a couple passages here uh, when Paul writes to Timothy in his pastoral letter. If you're not familiar with 1 Timothy, Timothy obviously was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul had trained him up in the way of the Lord, and so Timothy was actually a pastor at Ephesus. He was one of the pastors there at Ephesus, and so Paul writes the letter to Timothy while he is pastoring the church at Ephesus, and this is just a few years after Paul gave this warning that there were going to be false teachers in their church, and in a number of occasions in Paul's letter to Timothy, he both warns them about the false teachers that have come into the church, and he also tells them who to watch. Watch out for those who are the false teachers. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than to stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul says there are false teachers who are trying to draw away the people of God. These guys don't know what they're talking about. They have no clue what they are talking about, but yet they are drawing people away. Warn the church against these individuals. And, and Timothy might say, well, who are you talking about here? Well, look to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and verse 20. He says, "'We hold the faith with a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme.'" Now, these may have been elders in the church, or they may have been leading men in the church of some capacity. Paul says, Timothy, listen, there are two men who have nothing to do with him, Hymenaeus and Alexander. These are false teachers. Leave them from the church. Get them out of the church. Kick them from the church. They have no position being in that church. These are false teachers, and you need to warn your church against these men. Going forward to uh, 2 Timothy. There's more in 1 Timothy if you want to look in your own time, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 to 19. Again, there's two more men that he's going to mention here, I think, is in this passage. If not, yeah, there is two more men he mentions here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, "...but avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some." But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Here Paul both warns the church. uh, First, he's watching after the church, and he is also warning the church against these men that are spreading these false doctrines. Still also, you have in the book of Revelation, the Lord's letter to the church at Ephesus. If you think for a second that the Lord just abdicates His leadership and just leaves men to lead His church by themselves, you need only look to the book of Revelation to see that the chief shepherd is still actively leading the church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, this is the Lord speaking through the apostle John, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. The Lord commends the church at Ephesus some 30 years or so after Paul warns about these false teachers that are going to come. He says, there were false teachers, false apostles in your church. I'm glad that you called them out. I'm glad that you rid them from your bunch. They should have no place in that Fellowship. There are going to be false teachers who will come and who will seek to devour the flock of God, and we should expect the same, since any time God is at work, we know the adversary, the devil, is seeking to destroy the work of God. And it's not enough for the pastor to just say, oh, well, I'm just going to be optimistic. We've got a downtime. There's no false teachers here now. I'll just be optimistic here. Optimism will only lead to complacency. And when the shepherds become complacent, that is when the wolves attack. The wolves attack when the shepherds are complacent. There must be no optimism that the false teachers might come. No, they must be always on guard against those who are going to come to destroy the flock of God. The pastors are to ensure that they are not led to complacency. Even worse, for them to be pessimistic about the possibility will only lead to passivity. And they'll say, well, you know, they're right some of the time, so let's just let them stick around here for a little bit. They've got a few things in their doctrine that they can work on here, but, you know, we'll just let them stay here for a little bit of time. No! Passivity. Constantly. Many in the church have had passive reactions to false doctrines. They say, oh, it's not that it's not that serious here. But then the church drifts further and further away and before you know it, the church has denied the entire gospel. We live in a city that is an example of that with the churches here in Hollywood, the Methodist church, you know, the Presbyterian church and the Seventh-day Adventist church, all have fled. They have fled from the Word of God, and they now preach a gospel that is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what is to be the priority of the shepherd as it pertains to the fact that false teachers are going to enter into their flock? What is the pastor to do? What is the shepherd's priority as they know that false teachers are going to try to infiltrate their flock? Well, I've said it already. It's in verse 31. They are to watch and warn. Their ministry is both positively to feed and lead. Negatively, they are to watch and warn. This is in verse 31. He says, therefore, be alert or watch, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish or warn everyone with tears. You see, Paul says, if you are watching, You can warn, but if you are not watching, you cannot warn, and the sheep will be infiltrated by these false teachers. Any sort of slumbering by the pastors will lead to infiltration by the false teachers. You see, Paul is saying to these men, leading by example here, as he says, I did not cease to warn you of these things for three years, night and day, with tears Paul says, just as I was alert, just as I was warning you, follow in my example. Do not let your guard down. Watch so that you can warn against these false teachers. The job of the pastor is to watch and warn the flock in order that they would be protected. Now, there were three things that made Paul cry. Now Paul says, I watched after, I, th- I said this three, for three years with tears. What made Paul cry? Well, one was immature believers, second was unbelieving Jews, and third was false teachers. Now, did he cry because he was afraid of false teachers? No. A shepherd who's afraid of a wolf is no shepherd. Paul was not afraid of these false teachers. He was in tears because he saw the work that they were doing was subjecting or was uh, undercutting the sovereign work that the Savior himself had accomplished. These false teachers, when they came into the church, they were undercutting the unique saving work of God in and through Christ. Christ was not being glorified, and this led Paul to weep. It led Paul to weep that his Savior was not being honored, and also it led him to weep because he knew that these men were leading many astray from the chief shepherd who had paid it all. You see, this pained Paul as it should any shepherd who is concerned that his chief shepherd be glorified, and the flock for which he gave his life for is well cared and protected. You see, the shepherd should be concerned when there are wolves coming and chewing up, chewing up his flock and, and killing them. A shepherd who sees the flock being uh, uh, devoured by a wolf who stands back and does nothing? What kind of shepherd is that? Paul sees the sheep being led astray by these wolves, these, these wolves in sheep clothing, and it pains him. Why? Because he knows that these wolves are going to only chew up these, 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 these sheep and spit them out when they no longer have a use of them. They might, they might leave them alive for a little bit, but their bank accounts will be empty, and they'll go after another sheep who they can drain the finances of in and, and another time. They will chew up these sheep and spit them out and go to the next person. They do not care about the church. They care only about themselves. Really, as Jesus refers to them, they are merely a hired hand. This is not a good term. John chapter 10, verse 12, he says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. They're hired hands, these false teachers. These are individuals who have been placed into the church in order that they would be able, you know, as the church sees it, to lead them. But in reality, they are a hired hand, and when, they see no longer have, and when they no longer have a use for the church, what do they do? They flee, and they go to the next body of believers that they can suck dry, and then they go to the next one, and they just continue to destroy the church of God. They continue to terrorize the church by draining, by draining their accounts day in and day out. You see, the pastor's ministry then is to be, in one sense, watching and warning. They are to watch and warn in order that the sheep would be protected from these false teachers. And most notably, we see this watching and warning ministry personified in the ministry of the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 11 to 12, How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that He did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus says, don't listen to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't listen to what they say. Their works only lead to unrighteousness. Follow me. I am the chief shepherd. Do not follow after these blind guides leading the blind. Matthew chapter 23, turn with me there. You'll read of Jesus' rebuke uh, against these false teachers, the seven woes that He remarks upon them. And He says, I'll just read a few. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers." And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither yourselves enter nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. You can continue to read there, but Jesus pronounces these woes on these false teachers, not only to show their own condemnation, but also to warn the church to flee from these types of men. And just as the chief shepherd did this, you can expect that his apostles would do the same. Look to the Apostle John's ministry in 1 John. Turn there because we're going to look at a couple of his verses. 1 John chapter 4, he warns the church against these guys. Get over there. It's One of the last books of the Bible here. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll just read verse 1 to 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many prophets or false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, and every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in the world is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. And then you flip over one page to Second John, Second John chapter uh, one, verse seven to eleven. He says. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Then in the third letter that he writes, he says in verse uh, verse 9. He says, "...I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church." The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 13 to the church there, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by His diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Jude, in his short letter, he says, Beloved, I had intended to write to you about our common salvation, but these false teachers have made it a necessity that I write to warn you against them in order that we would contend for the faith. And in what might be the sharpest rebuke against these false teachers, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to give you systematically, this is not just one person doing this watching and warning. This is the ministry of the shepherds. They are to watch and warn the church. Peter does the same. 2 Peter 2. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction. For false teachers, and warn the church against who those false teachers are. Well, this is what they're called to do. You see, you would not uh, think think about this in this way. You see, these men, as pastors, they are doing what they are called to do. As shepherds over the flock, they watch and warn in order that false teachers do not destroy the flock. And they're following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. But think about it in terms of the shepherd with his own flock. Would you be surprised to see a shepherd at his watchtower checking to ensure no wolves or robbers are stalking them? Would that surprise you? Not at all, right? Would you be surprised to see a shepherd warning his sheep that a wolf is lurking? Neither would None of us would, but you'd think this is what he's supposed to do. On top of this, would you be surprised to see a shepherd beating a wolf with his rod to protect his sheep? No, you say, this is what that person is supposed to do. Then why is it in the evangelical church today we become so uncomfortable when speaking out against false teachers? You see, in the name of tolerance, many have failed in their role of watching and warning the sheep, and it has allowed for false teachers to run rampant in the evangelical church. You see, you would not expect the shepherd to just watch idly as the sheep are being destroyed by these false teachers. You say this shepherd is failing at his job. The same is true for the pastor who is watching and warning his church against the false teachers who have come into the evangelical church today. The shepherd is to watch over the sheep and warn them against these false teachers. To do anything less is to show a laxity over the sheep and of the work that Christ has called for them to do. You want to know how much the Apostle Paul had a holy hatred for the, for the false teachers? Galatians 5.12, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's writing of the Judaizers who are coming in and preaching the law, saying that you need to be circumcised in order that you would be saved. Paul says, I wish that these men would emasculate themselves. Late, or earlier in Galatians chapter 1, he says, let these people be damned to an eternity in hell. There is a holy hatred for these men because they are deceiving the flock of God. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs and blind leading the blind. Peter says that these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. He says they're worthless, have nothing to do with these men. And if you know who these men are, warn your church Against them You see, to tolerate false teachers and their teachings is foreign to the Bible. You see, pastors are watchmen who warn the congregation against these men and against their teachings. And one of the reasons we can say that pastors have been unwilling to speak out against false teachings, uh, false teachers and their teachings is because they fear man, whether they fear the false teacher, or they fear someone in their congregation who listens to that teacher. They fail to warn the flock of God. You see, like a shepherd, uh, a shepherd who is afraid of wolves, we would say this person cannot be a shepherd. So also as a pastor, if I'm afraid of a false teacher, I cannot be a pastor to you. Also, if I hold back saying something because I'm worried that I might offend you, something that is true, I am being led by you rather than you being led by me. Therefore, this cannot happen. The fear of man cannot exist in the life of a pastor. A shepherd who is afraid of of wolves cannot be a shepherd, and a shepherd who is led by his sheep will not be a shepherd for long. The shepherd must stand guard against the wolves and command obedience from his fold if he is able to lead them well. You say, how do I know that someone is a good pastor? How do I know that someone is a good pastor, a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul again writes to Timothy, a pastor. These are in the pastoral epistles. One day we'll get to them. 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we read in verse 1 to 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. You see what Paul says to Timothy here? There's going to be false teachers. You teach the truth. If you do this, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. If you do not, you have failed. You have failed to watch over the flock of God. And for the pastor who is to watch and warn, this both happens in the pulpit and in everyday life. The pastor is always to be on watch for his flock. You say, how does the pastor watch over the sheep? Well, first and foremost, it begins with him watching his own life, specifically his own doctrine. The pastor cannot guard the flock if they do not know what they are to be guarding them against. Therefore, Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1, this is of the quality of the elder or the pastor. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, out of the pastor's genuine understanding of the Word will come a genuine ability to refute the false teachings. But if he does not know, how will he be able to discern what is false and thereby not be able to guard the flock from being led away by these false teachers? This is why, if you have been coming here long enough, both Pastor Richard and I both will not only tell to you false teachings, but at times will tell to you the names of these men who you are to mark and avoid. We are watching these false teachers in order that we would be able to warn you against them. You see, you have those who are of the likes in the Word, Faith, Prosperity movement, Joel Osteen, Jesse Duplantis, Benny Hinn, or Kenneth Copeland. You remember what Kenneth Copeland claimed during the COVID-19 pandemic about COVID? He says, COVID-19, you're done. I command you in the name of Jesus, be gone. And then he went and nothing happened. And yet still people follow these guys. They claim that you're going to have prosperity, health, wealth, and prosperity if you just simply follow after God. These men are false teachers. You should not be listening to them. Also, you have those within the New Apostolic Reformation with one big name being Bill Johnson of Bethel Church, or who also has the music, Bethel Music. Here is one who teaches that it is the will of God that you be healed. And if you are not healed, well, then you do not have the faith to be able to be healed. Your faith is lacking. You are not trusting God enough. They teach this doctrine, and they have a large following. Sadly, though, his wife, who was also a propagator of this doctrine, died a terrible, terrible, terrible death from cancer. Terminally Ill, a terminally ill patient died a death from cancer. And this is, this is terrible. And we're not rejoicing at her death, but rather this is terrible that they present a doctrine which says if you have enough faith, if you are holy enough, God will not allow for you to get sick. And yet here you have the pastor of these people's wife dying a terrible, terrible death. What should this have said to these people? Stop following them. They're false teachers. But yet still, they have this continual following after themselves. And then you have those, the ones who I cannot fathom how anyone believes, those who are usually on Daystar, who are often offering up these prayer cloths that you can buy, or this anointing oil that they have, or encouraging you to plant a faith seed in order that you get your blessing. How anyone can follow these guys is just simply amazing. It's amazing to me because these guys, all they do is they just repeat their same faith seed commercials every week. It's the same thing. They don't even put on a new service. They just keep telling the same old stories and say, if you plant this seed, you know, God's telling me the number 1,000 right now. I think someone's got $1,000 to plant this faith seed right now. And they do this, and they put on this show, and they deceive these people, and they tear apart their bank accounts in order that they themselves can fatten their own pockets by deceiving the flock of God. Also, you have those who are maybe not false teachers, but they are feeding their churches junk. Junk. Junk they are not preaching the counsel of God, they are not preaching His Word, but rather they are tickling the ears of individuals and they are leaving them spiritually illiterate. You need only look into many evangelical churches in America today to see that these people are malnourished. These sheep are malnourished because their shepherds are feeding them junk. You see, Pastor Richard and I are committed to you in watching and warning against these false teachers. We are committed to you in this. And if you are ever listening to a preacher or if you ever are wondering about a preacher, you can come to me or Pastor Richard anytime you want. You can text us. Just had someone this past week text me and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this Bible. It says it's it's marketed on Amazon. The first Christian Bible, 144 A.D. You say, well, that sounds pretty good. What's this Bible all about? Well, it's Marcion's Bible. You say, who's Marcion? He was an early church heretic who believed that Jesus was actually an alien who came to earth in order that he would be able to bring about some sort of revival amongst the men. This was the person, he said, it's the first Christian Bible. Of course I'm going to buy it, right? I want the first Christian Bible, don't you? No, these are are false teachers who are propagating false doctrines who need to be warned against. And if you ever have a question, please ask Pastor Richard and I. We are committed to you. We are committed to seeing that you would be able to be warned against them. Now, also what we could say, too, is that within our congregation, I think that we are quite spiritually mature, and we have the ability to, to watch our own lives after this. But still, if you are ever, ever concerned with it, say just, just ask us. Any time of day, text us. We will tell you what we think about this individual, and we will both show you why they are false. Now, think about this as these individuals are, are, are doing these things. As they are living out these lives, these false teachers, what they are doing is they are destroying you and they're destroying the work of God. Therefore, it is of utmost importance that Pastor Richard and I be watchful in these things. You look at our city now. Most of our churches, as I mentioned, have drifted from the Word of God. Their pastors have stopped watching, they have stopped warning, and now they are merely social clubs at best. They have denigrated into a social club, and those are individuals who should be disqualified from ministry. And if we ever get to that point, Pastor Richard or myself, disqualify us from ministry, fire us, kick us out the door, ensure that there be no one, there be no one who fails to watch over you. We are committed to you in these things. Let me take you back a couple of years during our pastoral search. Prior to Pastor Richard coming in to be our senior pastor, maybe you weren't here, but we had a number of individuals who were coming in to be able to be interviewed for the position of pastor. Oh, well, one such man came in who was of the New Apostolic Reformation, and if you're not familiar with the New Apostolic Reformation, these guys think that they are modern-day apostles. This is what they teach. They're modern-day apostles. This is a false doctrine. The apostles, the office is closed. The office is done. It's closed away with When this man came, we opposed him to his face to ensure that he would not be able to infiltrate our flock. We called him out dead center. We didn't care what someone might have said. There was one of his goons went and stood over me and said, you're trying to have an agenda over this guy. I said, you better believe I have an agenda. I don't want this false teacher coming into the church. We are going to guard the flock of God here. And also, what we can say as well, too, is as Pastor Richard has come in, we also have given a greater watch after the false teachers being able to come. And you say, how so? Well, in one sense, think about our membership. Membership class is four weeks long and in it we go over doctrine, we go over our, what we teach, we go over what it means to be a believer, we go over our church covenant, we go over biblical decision making in terms of biblical conflict resolution. We have this extensive task in order that we will be able to prevent false teachers or false believers from coming into our fellowship in order that they would not be able to infiltrate our flock. You go to our website and you'll see that our doctrinal statement is clear, clear as day, so that anyone who's thinking that they're going to come in here, they will know that we are serious when it comes to watching after the flock of God and that we are upholding the Word of God. Still also, as all of us have seen just recently, both in Pastor Richard's call to the pastorate here, along with my own, we have an extensive process to ensure the pastors of our church are tested before they are called. Pastor Richard's candidacy was about a year long. For me, I was preaching here for about four years before I was officially voted in and ordained as a minister. We ensure that there will not be false teachers coming into our fellowship. And even more than this, you as the congregation, those of you who are members, vote to voice your approval of them. And as these individuals have been called, Pastor Richard and I specifically, to be shepherds, what we continue to do is to watch and warn each week as we devote ourselves to studying the Word of God in order, that we would be able to, in order that we would be able to prepare Bible studies and sermons, that we would be able to watch after the false teachings, to train you up in the way of the Lord, and to protect you against the false teachers who may be trying to disrupt your faith. Now, note this, This ministry that we have, this ministry of vigilance, while it is taken up most certainly in the pulpit, and as we teach on Bible study, it is most certainly taken up in the pulpit, but it does not stop there. It cannot. The pastoral ministry, the oversight, the vigilance that the pastor has does not stop at the pulpit, but rather it is transferred into all aspects of the ministry life here at the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. If the pastor is to watch and care after the church, their vigilance is in every single aspect of the church's life. Not because they don't trust you, not because we want to dominate you, but rather because we understand the priority that the Lord has given us in order that we would be overseers of his flock, protecting the flock of God. You see, our our desire to be in everything, to be uh, giving oversight in everything is not to control. It's not because we don't trust, but rather we note the priority that God has given to us that we are to watch and warn against false teachers and we are also to feed and lead you. You say, why do we note this priority? Well, because we've seen what happens when false shepherds do not care for the flock of God. We see what happens when the people of God are not cared for, and, and far be it from us to lead to the displeasure of our great God and Savior who has commissioned us to this task. You need only look to Ezekiel chapter 34 to see what happens to a shepherd who is not watching after his flock. Ezekiel 34 verse 1 all the way, I think it's into verse 8 here. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat once, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts." My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed, from, fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Church, praise God that we have the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be our chief shepherd. And praise God that by His grace, He has called and equipped certain men who would stand watch for the chief shepherd until He comes. You see, our prayer as the church is that we would be a church that is guided by men who are equipped to be watchers over the people of God here. That God would continue to raise up men like Pastor Richard and myself who would be able to shepherd over the flock of God in order that they would be able to be watchers and overseers of your souls, not to dominate, not to control, not to fatten our pockets as Pastor Richard was talking about those in this morning service. It is in order that we would be able to live out the call of ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought upon our lives, in order that we would be able to feed and lead, to watch and warn, in order that you would be led to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in order that we would be able to receive the reward that our Lord has promised to us at his coming. This is our joy to care for you. This is our joy to watch over you. And if our life ever, if our life ever denies that by the works that we do, call us out on it any day or night. Call us out on it any day or night. Our job is to watch over you. It is our joy. Pastor Richard and I love you dearly, and we long to see this, 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 this church continuing to be flourishing here as the body of Christ here in this city of Hollywood in order that we would be able to proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this city that so desperately needs it. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this blessed day that we have to be able to come and look to your word. And, and God, there's just so much truth here that is... Um, so important for, for all of us to come and to consider, Lord, that, um, that, that you would lead us as, as your church, Lord, that, that, um, that your Word would be able to be the guide in which we need in order that we would be able to understand how you would have us to be growing as the body of Christ here. Lord, we know that, that even now you are blessing our church tremendously. Lord, you have gifted to us many individuals who are faithful in their service. I thank you for the faithful service of everyone here who is a member who is serving and who is uh, exercising oversight and and, and making decisions for the church and and leading the church through those. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us a mature body here. and, And we thank you that as we look forward to see what you will continue to do here, that you would just continue to build up our fellowship, Lord, giving each of us the responsibilities that you have laid out for us clearly in your word in order that we would be able to... To be a church that is growing, growing in, in your grace and your mercy and in your love, and also being able to be a, a, a beacon of light here to uh, uh, to draw people into the glorious truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which alone has the power to save. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you that we 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 realize that. Uh, no amount of time can be taken to, to, to speak your truths that, that would ever be wasted. And so, Lord, may we realize that as we have come to consider your word now, Lord, you will not leave it in vain, but rather it will accomplish the purpose you have set out for it to accomplish. We ask that you do that through the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.